Home Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own businesses. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their businesses up and running. My name is Kieran, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Pamela Laird, founder of Maxi Love. Pamela launched her own beauty brand, Maxi Love, where the purpose is clean, clever and affordable products. Making everything easy to use and convenient was Pamela's main goal to make beauty products accessible to all. Everything is cruelty-free and environmentally responsible. The target audience is the modern woman, with all the products being made for everyday, easy use. Maxi Love can currently be purchased in pennies, or Primark if you're in the UK, and Boots, but there is also stores launching in the UK, Denmark, and Spain. Uh, you're very, very welcome, Pamela. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm great today. How are you? Yeah, doing well. It's Friday, so always, always a bit happy on a Friday. Definitely. There's that Friday feeling for sure. Um, so, Pamela, I, I understand uh, beauty and cosmetics is something that's kind of come from a, a family background. So is it something that's always been a passion and been around for, for yourself? Definitely. I think if I if I think back to both my parents, they both had their own businesses. My dad sold cars. My mom had a beauty salon. I definitely drifted towards the beauty. While I do still like cars, I tell you, after school, if I was going anywhere, I wanted to be the salon. <laughs> so I used to find myself there and I loved the products, especially. I think I was always really interested in what was new and merchandising them. And I just really connected with the beauty side. Um, while my mom was really big into service part of the industry I definitely loved the retail the products and I would love selling them as well like I, I yeah. started quite young there so I think yeah there was a huge connection to beauty from the start and so were you in the store early doors uh selling stuff seeing what was working what customers liked definitely and I used to help her source products so I would, would go right. to like trade shows and stop and see what was new and different and I really enjoyed that part and I think my mom was always at the the forefront of like new innovation so she would bring things in that maybe weren't in other salons at the time and we would do like Ireland AM like a, a TV show in Ireland and she, yeah so she had like a regular slot on that at the time so I think I just saw how um innovative that part of it could be and and just how fun it's fun you know when there's something new yeah. and different and exciting so yeah I was there from a young age after school <laughs> <laughs> and like how how long into it do you realize or do you just know always know I'm going to start something or did it kind of come to you after a certain period of time I think I always knew I mean I think back to school and how disconnected I was from the CAO and college <laughs> yeah. and pretty much anything to do with the university I was like no, yeah. I don't want that. I don't care. I want to start a business. So in my final year in school, I had meetings arranged. So I basically had for my kind of sixth year before my, my exams, I had set up a nail bar in House of Fraser. So we opened the week after after my Deb. So that was my first business. And that was like in the making a long time. I, I just, it's just what I always wanted to do. It was never really, there really wasn't another option. That's so impressive. Like, because... Uh, Particularly, I suppose, obviously, you can hear I'm, I'm Irish as well. Like, the, the school system is very much driven towards go to university, go to university, go to university. So, it obviously was a pretty strong personality trait that you were just like, no, 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 I am getting this business up and running and I can do everything simultaneously. Like, that, that. Did, did you find that people were looking at you oddly? Definitely. I think, um, 
it was unusual and I suppose seeing it you can believe that you can do it so seeing both my parents do it it felt well I can do it too so for a lot of my friends I suppose they didn't have that necessarily so that didn't seem like an option it was always just go to college doesn't matter what you do just do arts and UCD and you'll be fine you know that was kind of the mentality at the time and I was like absolutely not I'm out of here and I remember our mock one of our mock oral exams or something was changed and I was like excuse me like I have a meeting like you can't just change things last <laughs> my friends are like Pamela sit down <laughs> so I was definitely getting a few looks for sure <laughs> oh amazing and uh, talk me through the nail bar in House of Fraser. What, uh, how, did you get, how did that come around and, and what happened to it? Yeah, it was interesting. So at the time, products, like I said, became a big thing for my mum and her business. So she started distribution of a brand that was just launching in the UK. So she took over the Irish distribution for it. And there was an opportunity to open a nail bar with that brand as the front. And I had qualified in third year in skill doing nails. That was where I sort of drifted to within beauty. And um, my mum yeah. was more skincare and I was just really into nails. So I did all my qualifications and spent a lot of time after school doing other people's nails. So by the time I was finishing school, I had already started becoming the national trainer educator for that brand in Ireland. So I would travel around to all the nail uh, salons and spas and, and teach, teach the nails. So... Then it was like, OK, I want my own nail bar and here's a great opportunity to partner with the, you know, have the front of the brand that we yeah. actually distributed and do it within House of Fraser. It was just a great opportunity. So it was kind of obviously helped by my mom, obviously, at the time. But it was yeah. totally me that was running it 12 hour days. <laughs> and what, what would you say, like, or a couple of the things that like you took away from that kind of first foray into, into your own venture and having to do those 12 hour days? I mean, a lot. I think what I didn't realize, and in hindsight, as I looked back on my mum's business and as I was in my own at the time, people always wanted me. And as I started to excel in the nail world, mm -hmm. I started to do a lot of photo shoots and covers and celebrities. I was less and less available in the nail bar, but people yeah. wanted me. And yeah. it was it was it was difficult. So I, I had this vision of scaling. And while we expanded the space within House Fraser successfully, I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to scale this with everyone kind of pulling out of me. And what do I really want? And mm -hmm. as it grew, I, I started to become a manager of people. And I was my passion for nails had kind of gone because I was no longer able to do them the way I had yeah. been. Yeah, and right, I thought, yeah. OK, what I love and, and what business I want is not necessarily going to be the same thing. Um, and that's when I realized I don't want to be in a service based business. I want to yeah. scale and I want something that doesn't require my physical body to be there to yeah. grow. So I took a step back. We were there for four years and I decided to pull the plug and start another business. Yeah. And um, was that, was your next business Maxi Love or did you go into something else before? before so I was headhunted to start another nail bar in Dublin airport. So that was kind of like my hiatus while I could think about my next step. Yeah. So I thought, okay, perfect opportunity I actually was working the two jobs, so 5 a.m. in the airport till 1 o'clock and then going into House Fraser for a while. So that was a bit of a mad time. But eventually I, I fully committed to the airport and then I re was able to sort of get a bit of headspace and think about mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. That period of time, I realized I never wanted to work for anyone else in that capacity again. So I knew that was for a fact I was going to do something on my own again. Um, and I just started thinking about, well, what can I do? What do I, what do I enjoy? But that doesn't require me. And I started to think about products and how I loved bringing new and innovative products. And what did I think wasn't out there? And how could I create that? Uh, well, 
that's like, I mean, that's a pretty seismic task. So how, how <laughs> does one go about doing that? And like, what was kind of the length of time it took you to, I suppose, start some of that research and break mm. it down into something that was starting to shape Maxi Love? It's hard to say. I think everything happened at the one time. So I was looking at products and I was thinking, okay, oh, I want 10 products. And then I slowly realized, or maybe it was quickly, that, you know, my minimum order quantities were like catastrophic for for innovative, new and different products. It wasn't like I could order 10 or 20 and see how it went. That wasn't a possibility. So I was like, okay, we need to go one product. So I thought, okay, what is the one that I think could stand out the most, would be the strongest and, you know, the most applicable? What, What do we want to start with? So I whittled it down to one. And then I spent the next few months trying to source the manufacturer. So that took a while, like samples on samples on samples. I ruled out Ireland. Yeah. No one here could make it. The EU, no one could make it there. So it was the Far East. So I was going through manufacturers. And eventually just, I didn't quit my day job, which I think is really important because you don't mm-hmm. have to go all in until you're ready. And I think yeah. that allowed me to get it right. Um, so yeah, I kept it going. And then I suppose, interestingly then, what was that all-in moment where you were felt like, I've done the research, I've got the manufacturer in place, like what was that transition period between I can now leave the security of the job and go all-in? It's hard because I kind of, I had finished up in the airport, but I was doing a lot of freelance work because my nail career sort of took off a bit more when I was freer. And so I've never really left that because I think that's kept a foot in the door of the industry and I think it's really important to be in the industry you're targeting because if you close yourself off and you're in an office you're not connected with what's new and what's coming so I've always tried to keep a good balance between and it's fun that that work for me to me is fun and it's allowed me to have my passion for nails again without you know being tied to a salon you know all day so I never really left that I'm being honest but it isn't a financial secure necessarily (laughs) it's more just my my hobby I get paid for so but I think it there came a time where I I think it was after I did Dragon's Den and it took off and I realized oh like we can't just have one product anymore in fact we're selling out of that product. We, it's going to take a few months to get the next. Like how, okay, I need to focus here. And that was hard because I was trying to play catch up because I kind of had been, you know, doing a lot at one time. Yeah. And like when, when you're, when you're selling a product, there's so many aspects to it. One, you have to source the product, uh, then you have to get it manufactured. If you've got the lead mm-hmm. time, you need to be happy with how it's manufactured. Do you then have your marketing elements, depending on what channels it's going to be on social, it's going to be online. It could be in trade, it could be wholesale. Mm-hmm. And then you have to study all the numbers behind like what's going, what's, what's happening, where my sales at, like that's a stupid amount of hats. Where were you being able to, where did you felt you kind of had strengths and where where were the areas that you were going to have to learn as, as you go? So I had a big lesson to learn. Uh, everything went wrong. I mean, listen, <laughs> we had a minimum order quantity of 60,000 units. We ordered them. I was like, oh, it's going to take forever. Okay, fine. It did kind of take forever, but then all of a sudden, 60,000 were at the dock and I was like, I have nowhere to put them. <laughs> I don't even have anyone to buy them yet. Uh, I was like emailing people. Everyone was ignoring me. I was like, right. Where did you put them? So it was delivered. Half of it was delivered to my house. Half of it was delivered to my mum's salon. Like the people who were delivering the pallets were like, we're like, no, take the pallets back. Like we've nowhere to put them. We were breaking down pallets. <laughs> It was wild and they were under my dining room table, they were my bedroom, there was boxes everywhere. So that is very much how we started. 
And I think what I didn't realize was it was really hard. To, I had this vision of, of B2B. So I wanted to sell yeah. into Primark. I wanted to sell into pharmacies. And that was where I saw yeah. the brand going. Online hadn't really taken off at that stage. And I, I wasn't really looking at it properly. And our price was quite low. So we needed volume. So yeah. uh, everyone was ignoring me. So I was like, brand, I'll just start what I know, which is marketing and PR. So I said, let's get these into pretty envelopes. I know a lot of people. I didn't say it was me, but I knew who, who the right people were to send it to. So yeah. I wasn't like signed Pamela. Like I literally sent the product out. And it was at a time where Instagram was so authentic and genuine where people would just like something and take a photo of it and just put oh, it nice. on the grid. I know. So <laughs> my product was extremely, it was actually called Eye Catcher and it was extremely eye catching. It was pink. It really stood out and it looked like an interesting product. So, you know, overnight people were sharing it on social media. People were looking for it. And right around the same time, I sent it to the Primark buyers and I sent right. it to a distributor because then I slowly realized that, oh, the reason the pharmacies are ignoring me is because they don't want to deal with Pamela, who lives they wherever. Nice. They want yeah. to deal with their customer they're used to dealing with. They're already invoice set up. You know, it's secure for them. So I realized that was my way into trade, basically. So if I wanted to deal with Primark and pharmacies, I would need a distributor. And so... It had a bit of uplift on social media. People were talking about it. It was in print magazines because I have all those connections from my nail work. So it was everywhere. It was great. And then Primark replied. We're like, yeah, we love it. The distributor was like, let's go. And it really did just take off in there. The boxes weren't very, very much then all of a sudden. They went very quickly. And then right around the same time, I was like, okay, this is kind of growing and I, I need money. So I was like, where will I get it? And I'm a big fan of Dragon's Den. So I was like, sure, let's see. Like that could be a yeah. cool way to get money. <laughs> And publicity. So yeah, yeah, that yeah. was pretty quickly after we launched. We launched into Primark in December. I think I filmed Dragon's Den in like February. And it, well, well, talk me through that in terms of A, do you feel, uh, oh, I'm just curious in terms of like impact on yeah. product sales. And then secondly, as a source of money, do you feel it was a good uh, amount for what you needed and the deal you got was that good now in hindsight? So I didn't take the deal. Actually, I only came across the contract no, you the other day. just max taking the publicity. So I shook on screen. Now, in fairness, it wasn't my intention. I shook on screen. I got three dragons. There's so many people we've chatted to on this podcast <laughs> that. that have done this in the direct market. <laughs> I mean, no, look, I actually did need the money. That is one yeah. thing that didn't change. Yeah. Uh, but when I met the dragons after the show, so you do, there's a lot of due diligence that happens. You don't shake on yeah. screen and then everyone signs and you get the the check like that's not what happened so we filmed it we started to meet um one of the three dragons never came to one meeting so i was kind of getting an insight into my future uh, we can't get three people together you get, you get three dragons i got three dragons yeah oh pretty good which ones um i actually can't remember them all now um well it's uh, my i did the irish one so mine was the last season so it was gavin duffy yeah. chanel mccoy and then a lady from northern ireland I can't remember her name, but yeah, three. Oh, one of them didn't show up. So. One of them didn't show up. Um, and then I realized that they were sort of seeing this as a different opportunity. So I needed the capital, but I felt very capable yeah. of scaling. And they were sort of like, we could change the name, you know, we could make it a different color. Um, and I was thinking, okay, it's not really what I need you for. And I thought, okay, one isn't showing up. We're on different pages. This is not going to work. And yeah. I sort of waited until it aired because then, of course, I got other offers. And so I took another offer off awesome. the back of the show airing. Yeah. And but but 
in terms of impact of like on the sales, the demand, yeah. that lovely. Huge impact. And not just that, I think it really pushed, it was right around the time where people were really interested to know who's behind the brand. You could start to see people becoming the face of their own brand, which was really Mm. not my intention as far as I didn't name it after myself. I I wanted it to scale without me. That was my goal from day one. I wanted it to be separate to me with my expertise, but not about me. Because I thought if we go into America or Australia, I don't want to have to sell myself everywhere I go. It's not about me. It's kind of like the lesson you learned the first time around. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I was like, it's not going to be me. But then this whole trend of who's behind the brand, how does it work? And so then I started to get a, a more of a business. People were starting to take me seriously in business. And then people yeah. wanted to know about me. And that came like local enterprise office took an interest. So there was all this other stuff that came off the back of Dragon's Den that probably never would have happened because I was so in the background of it. Um, and look, it only aired a couple of times um, for one hour. I think we were like... 11 minutes of that so you have to remember it is a a drop in the pan in a a way like it's not you know there isn't longevity in it but we definitely noticed a huge uplift in sales after and then how did you manage that like because obviously you had the scenario whereby 60,000 right sitting half my gaff and half my mum's salon and going to try shift these all of a sudden I can't keep up how did you manage with that so the offer that I got off the back of the show was from one of my distributors and they were interested in helping me fund the stock so that not in a, not mm-hmm. have this have it convert to equity, but to help me in a way that could manage that process. Mm-hmm. So they took a little bit of the risk on as well. Like obviously it yeah. was partly my risk, but it, it was a way to help me. Um, now they obviously, they wanted to take on a lot of the logistics and management, which they weren't really able to do because it's very different ordering from a brand as I learned and making it yourself. So a lot of that I did pull back if, and I did myself, but they were able to financially help me fund the stock, Amazing. which was a great way to scale at that time. And in terms of that kind of then, did that start you on a funding journey for different kind of finance strategies or was that enough to kind of get you up and running and get you to the place where you are today? Yeah, and I think this is a real point that I look back on and I think I was very comfortable in that scenario. And what I should have probably realized was that was probably the time to traditionally fundraise. But I started all my businesses from a perspective of you just start a business and you grow. I had no idea of the startup train that there is, the local Mm. enterprise office, the funding in Enterprise Ireland. Like It's almost like you start that way and you go through and get everything that you can. I had a bank loan from Bank of Ireland for 50 grand, a stocking loan, like a very traditional way to start, probably a non-traditional business. And I didn't know about most of the, the traditional fundraising elements until... Uh, maybe two years in business at least. Yeah, so yeah. I missed out on a lot of things. And I think looking back, that would have been prime time to fundraise. But I was very mm. comfortable in the fact that, well, I don't have to give away any of my company and That's here's this company yeah. buying my stock. But what it, what it didn't do and what I should have realized was partnering with a local distributor who supplies Ireland, mm-hmm. when you have visions of scaling, they're yeah. not interested in that because they're not going gotcha. to be getting a slice of that. So it limited my growth. And I, I didn't even see it at the time because I was so happy with what was happening. But yeah. it, they weren't able to supply the other markets. And yeah. I didn't know that. I, I suppose if I if I thought about it properly, I would have. But yeah, yeah it was very well, comfortable. How long into that did you, because you, you're probably like, oh, Jesus, I've absolutely nailed it. The park launched, launched products, got huge demand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really killing it. Uh, at what point did you realize actually, feck, I need to, but my true aspiration is to get this into loads of other places that isn't just Ireland. How long was that kind of period? 
I think when we launched into Primark UK, I realized how badly managed it was. And I was paying sort of, there was commission on both ends if I needed someone in the UK. And I thought, oh, I'm going to face this wherever I go, because if they Mm. hold my stock, how am I going to export properly? So it was then that I realized that it was time to part ways. And right around the same time, probably the the biggest bombshell in the business. It'll always, I hope it'll be the worst thing that ever happens, but um, the EU decided to ban single-use plastics in cotton buds. And our product at the time was a, a liquid fill cotton bud for tidying up your eye makeup. And it was because a, a, a photo circulated of a seahorse gripping a cotton bud. Um, an underwater photographer took it. It went completely viral. And within two weeks, the EU had completely banned plastic. Now, they gave two years to phase it out, okay. but consumer perception was instant was not good was not good i mean our genius product overnight became the devil wrapped in plastic oh, essentially God. so it was around the same time what did, what did you do what did you do well i <laughs> didn't cry but i was close um it was really hard because i had started to launch new products but then i realized okay wait i need to leave this partner that i no longer it no mm. longer you know serves me or the brand um i did that and then i said okay we need to come up with products that not only are going to look at legislation today but legislation in five ten years time so i really yeah. sat back and i thought okay it's not just for not sustainability for the sake of it but it raised awareness to me what happens to cotton buds so i want to know what happened to everything i want to know everything about everything and that started my my research into wet wipes and how of blockages in the sewers in the UK are wet wipes and, you know, 40% of a wet wipe is made of plastic and never biodegrades, all these things. So I was like, okay, let's try and make something better. So that's Mm -hmm. just one of our products, but all the way through our products, we're waterless. And by 2025, 5 billion people will face water shortages. So by Mm -hmm. taking the water out sustainably, uh, it put us in a great position of where the future of, of beauty is going. So that really gave me time. Um, but it was a terrible time, not going to lie, like our hero product, we just scaled into the UK. It was over, like the rug was really pulled from under me instantly. Yeah, but you really silver lined it because it gave you a catalyst to start looking at the supply chain and and looking for opportunities in in that. So I suppose as the rug was being (laughs) swiped, where did you start to navigate to and where did you kind of feel uh, the the kind of next product landed in terms of kind of where your audience was? Yeah, so I I kept our thinking of like convenience and innovation and and married it with waterless basically. And I, we were quite early, like I knew the technology we were using, like with a powder face wash, people were like, what is that? And and I knew that it was coming and, and you see it everywhere now. But at the time, I knew we were early, but I hoped that we could be one of the first movers. And that was sort of my theory that this Mm. is, it's hard to educate people as an indie brand. You don't have the big budgets, you don't have the marketing spend. So, but I knew the innovation was there and the innovation will always, it has always been easy for me to get listings in retail stores that because I bring them something that they're excited about. You know, the buyers see the same thing all the time, but if you bring them something new, they'll want you on their shelf. And our strategy was still omni-channel. We were online but we were definitely heavy in retail because we needed the volume. Um, yeah. And then I realized, um, so when I needed the money the first time, I still need the money now. And again, yeah. if I could talk to my younger self, you have this big ambition, you're going to need the money to scale. Like you don't yeah. wait till you're there to raise it. Like for God's yeah. sake, you know, if I could tell myself one thing, but anyway, <laughs> 
you want to prove it too. Like as a founder, you yeah. really don't want to take someone else's money to go and see yeah. if it works. So ah, anyway, look, hindsight. But I then I thought about a friend of mine said, well, what about Dragon's Den or The Apprentice? And I said, The Apprentice? Sure, I don't want a job. And she was like, no, 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 it's investment. Like, it's amazing. And I'd never watched yeah. it. Yeah. And I thought, sure, let me know when the applications are open. She sent me an email and was like, they're open. So I just submitted yeah. the application. I was like, we'll see what happens. Um, and it, my audition was today, four years ago. <laughs> it just came up on my phone. So I went and... Um, Three auditions later, and anyway, I ended up on the finals. I think 80,000 people applied, and I ended up yeah. in the finals 16. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. And again, like similar to say Dragon's Den, did you notice like a huge impact on the, like, just... Massive. Like, and I think the difference between Dragon's Den, you're on people's screens for one I mean, hour. You're coming up on every Wednesday. For you know, it's hour. a full hour. It's prime time slot. It's BBC One. It's the UK, you know, yeah. far bigger market than Ireland. Yeah. Uh, we were, we had, huge, I had just huge, huge, huge show, big fans. People love the show and people get to see you, I suppose, for a few weeks yeah. before they even know what your business is. Yeah, so I had, I was say, yeah, just I'm curious, sorry to interrupt there uh, on that, because like a lot of the show only until maybe that last interview episode or so you very rarely get to show off actually what it is you're trying to do as a business it's all about you yeah. so are you thinking like my, my head's in the game obviously you need to get the angle to show off the business or are you trying to weave the business in in different episodes like what was your your thinking there you know what it's funny because i think i had this thought about i thought i would be fired really quickly because i'm not really confrontational well maybe other people tell you different but i try not to be i'm <laughs> i don't really work well in teams i'm an only child i don't have experience and like i've worked for myself by myself so i i was worried about how how far i would get and i thought well look let's just go for it it's a great opportunity and i didn't realize like i was there for 12 weeks like every, i'm in every episode Amazing. and so the poor two irish this year got fired like one and two i felt really oh. bad for them because it can happen you don't know so at the, i didn't really have a game plan what i was really worried about was because i had a consumer facing brand people can hate you when you're on tv and mm -hmm. unlike dragon's den my pitch was completely rehearsed like i went to the communications clinic and i did a pitch like a tv ad that was my goal that was really controllable like weirdly yeah. even though you think yeah. it can't be it is actually really yeah. easy to control it if you if you work with someone good but yeah. the apprentice you're on all the time you, ca you can't do anything you have to be yourself so i was like just be yourself don't let yourself down was really what i was thinking because you have a product yeah. and people need to like you and if yeah. people hate you they're not going to buy your product so that was really my only game plan and obviously Lovely. I knew I'd get torn apart in the interviews. So whether people like, people might have liked me then and been like, oh, they're being mean to her, which is kind of what happened <laughs> instead of going, yeah, her, her brand is terrible. <laughs> uh, having, I suppose then having gone through that, like, how then did you manage with that much bigger grain swell coming at you and the brand and the product? Like, how, how did you manage that? I mean, it was huge. The response was huge. And I think um, what I was criticized most for in the interview process at the end was just that I had so few products. And I felt like, oh, I know it's true. We should be much further along, but mm. for the blip we had with the original product and it's yeah. unfortunate. So I was like, okay, by the time I'm fired, the day I'm fired on air, I will have my third product. And we launched online 
we sold out completely. The website really? hits were insane because it was pre-recorded. So I was watching yeah. it from London on my laptop. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, people are ordering. <laughs> so it was amazing. The product really took off. Yeah, it just was. I just felt so happy with how like well I had uh, kind of tried yeah. to make my loss work for me, you know, for yeah, the business. Well, I mean, that's seriously making it work for you. Yeah. And I suppose then at that time, did you use that? Were you in a position there where you didn't need funding because you were able to leverage the back of the the interest? Or did you use that again to maybe look at the, the fundraising scenario? That was when the, the first time I really considered fundraising and I'd met with Enterprise Ireland after I filmed the show. Um, and I was really targeting myself on LinkedIn, hoping to find maybe an angel investor or somebody who'd yeah. watched the show yeah. who might be interested. So I was trying to do everything I could in the business mm-hmm. space, mm-hmm. Um, sharing all of our wins. You know, we're launching to Boots UK, 400 stores, all of these things I was trying to 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 go. And I did get a lot of interest and I had just started. So it, film, it finished airing December 2019. So I spent a huge amount of early 2020 in the UK meeting with investors. And I thought, OK, this is it. Yeah. Um, and then COVID, which was oh. great. <laughs> Deadly, so, I mean, I, the reason I wanted to fundraise is because I had the ambition to scale. Um, so yeah. while I didn't technically need it at that time, like I was on the edge of needing it if, if mm-hmm. any big deal came in. Um, but then, yeah. Before, like take advantage of the timing. Exactly, exactly. And it well, it is a very small window of time. Like you're famous for five minutes, you know, so you need to, yeah. to maximize it. Um, and then, yeah, COVID just came in and... <laughs> well, it came for everyone. And on the COVID side of things, because I suppose were you still quite heavily retail as opposed to being quite an online brand? In, in completely, in like our yeah. products were under ten euro. We didn't translate online. Like it was always my goal to sort of creep up the price point a bit, add value yeah. online, online yeah. exclusives. Yeah. Like it was part yeah. of our our brand pitch. Uh, we didn't get there. Um, like to to post one of my products would cost almost the same as the product itself for the for the buyer. Yeah. We yeah. couldn't add value online. So we instantly, we launched into Boots uh, the, the day the UK locked down into 400 stores. And sure, some of the skincare aisles were closed off. It took us months to get online because um, oh, they were prioritizing OTC. Um, and so my five minutes from the show had completely died. You know, we'd launched yeah. party plans and, and yeah. that was all over. So it was just about reacting. So Amazon yeah. was our first point to call because I thought, well, look, we'll get on there. The prime delivery, yeah. Yeah. it, it yeah. may yeah. be hurting our bottom line, but at least we'll get into customers' hands. So that was fine. We did Amazon, Germany, the UK, um, Italy, and then eventually got onto Boots Online and, and just really tried to grow that space. But it killed our volume business, which was, it was difficult. Oh. And so then, like having gone through that other hammer blow, having got the EU blow, what, what again? What, what was the, what was the plan? Kind of having gone, gone through that, did the slowly but surely getting onto Amazon Boots Online? Did that now give you a new platform that that kind of de-risked what was quite heavily retail, or actually just COVID going away helping? What, what kind of what? It took COVID going away. I think our because we were in that new waterless space, as I mentioned, it was Mm -hmm. very new. So we definitely tried to push what everyone imagined as being an advantage of waterless, which was travel. So like if there's no liquid, you can take it with you in your gym bag. You know, that was our our main USP while we were trying to let the industry catch up with our waterless focus from a sustainability point of view. Um, So our entire marketing speak, uh, everything we would say about the product during COVID had to completely change because nobody's going anywhere. They're certainly not getting on a plane. They do not care Uh about liquid. It just... 
I, I was not able to foresee that as well as everything else. But I think it was a huge time for me to take sit back and think about how far in the future I'd put our omni-channel plan and our slow price increases, not price increases, but larger products, mm. Uh, mm. price points. And I thought, how could I put that so far into the future and look what happens? Like, this needs mm-hmm. to be now. So yeah. uh, it helped me change my pitch deck. I partnered up with Enterprise Ireland and they put me on a Dublin BIC funding and scaling program. I was probably a little bit further along for it, but it gave me a great opportunity to look at my pitch again, nice. go through it in detail. Um, Enterprise Ireland were really interested in, in helping me when, you know, when I eventually was able to find an investor. And so... It was a time where I just tried to network as much as I can. I connect with people on LinkedIn and eventually found a lot of really interested people. Um, Again, a few lessons aren't there. Fundraising, I think, is a really it's hard. It's hard to to run the business and fundraise, as I'm sure most founders know. It's a different job. Um, It's hard. It's soul destroying. It's uh, I suppose like I actually part of it I did enjoy, but I hated how long everything took. That really bothered yeah, me. You know, how much it takes you away. It takes you away. It yeah. does. Um, and I had a lot of people wasting my time, which I again found is don't let your time be wasted. But you're like, but this person's interested. I have to see yeah. it through. And it's easier said than done. It's either you think this person's interested, and you're three months there, and and honestly, that was a really expensive mistake. That I don't know if I go back would knowing what I know, because you still think there's a chance. You know, if somebody's taking time to meet with you, there's a chance. But actually, I think th- I think investors or angel investors, even if I put that in inverted commas, people who think they want to invest, don't realize what they cost you yeah. in yeah. leading you down the garden path. Yeah. Hope is dangerous. Um, Agreed. And, and so then did you end up going with the HPSU program with the high... Uh, high performance startup program so that's where I was kind of teetering because I didn't really fit Enterprise Ireland's technical HPSU I wasn't manufacturing in Ireland my employment count was low but the investment would have changed all of that for the company so it was they were sort of there like look bring us the investment once you get it and we will go in Um, and I thought sure maybe I can do an MBA. I don't know what came over me. I've never been to college. So I went to an MBA open night and I was mid fundraising at the time. And they were like, you'd be great. And I was like, really? (laughs) Before I knew it. um, Yeah, I'm midway through an MBA. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And so right now you're like chucked another massive plate in there, basically. Yeah. And how are you managing now with that other place in the mix? You know what? I actually, it's extremely stressful. But for the first time in a while, I feel like I'm challenging myself with like valuable things. So, you know, the challenging process of fundraising, yeah, yeah. You sometimes you come away and you learn nothing. You think, well, that person yeah. was just a whatever. And what would I have done differently? I, d- I don't know. And I feel like I had uh, an investor last year all the way up until contracts were signed and everything, just November actually. Um, and I thought, well, look, if this goes through, I will be a better leader for recruiting. Yeah. Like whatever happens, the MBA is going to add to my to my journey. It's going to take months for the stock to come in. Whatever happens, it'll, it'll be after the MBA probably. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the investment fell through in November again. Um, oh. Honestly, I could write a book at this stage. Um, and the Enterprise Ireland match funding obviously is is there. And if I can find, yeah. yeah, it's conditional. They can't leave the investment round. So I realized then that that this is, 
like nothing that's meant for you will pass you by and it's better if someone pulls out pre you know everything yeah. signed because otherwise you you have a really expensive problem so yeah. i you know that's just the way it is but i think um i've had some incredible lessons learned on the mba and i'm meeting some incredible people like i was able to go to yale did a week in yale as part of it and just Amazing. to for me having not had a degree to be able to just leverage my time in business to be yeah. getting these opportunities and still mm -hmm. have my business in the background what i ended up doing was because it got so stressful i don't know who told me that a full-time mba isn't really full-time because it is <laughs> someone said that to me I don't know what they were thinking but I've now partnered with my UK wholesaler um on like a strategic partnership for the remainder of my nice. MBA so they're looking after the UK market oh, for so me good. so it's great it means I can technically just pause now I'm still yeah. running the business but at the yeah. same time logistically I can focus on the MBA for nice. for a short time it was only six months left so I'm nearly there <laughs> And then, okay, well, then it's his final, final question then, six months down the line, finishing up, what is, mm. what, what are you kind of eyeing up, thinking about, about next? You know, it's funny, I've always thought maybe during the MBA I might find a co-founder because that has been the one barrier that I've found. Yes. Meeting investors, Enterprise Ireland even, everybody are like, no co-founder though, you know, it seems to be very yeah. valuable for people and I can kind of see why, like co-founders look less stressed, you know, one of them is doing something, <laughs> the other is... It's nice just to be able to vent. With to vent, else. to vent. Yeah. And I think you have, a, you have someone who's good at what you're not because you said earlier, like there's a lot going on and, and you're not good at everything, like there's, mm. it's, it's impossible. Um, so yeah, I think, I would hope maybe there'll be someone strategic um, get the investment over the line when I have the time to, to yeah. start that, when I'm dusted yeah. myself off again and go down that road. Um, because the opportunity for the brand just grows in the background and I just, I'm not able to do it on my own. And, and I, I could keep going as I am, but I have such big ambitions to scale it. Like we launched into yeah. Australia, the US yeah. is calling, like that's there, but it needs, yeah. it needs funding and, and a team. I need a team, you know, to make it work. So <laughs> yeah. I realize that now. You've done a, you've done a huge amount on your own. I wouldn't like, advise it to anyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it on your own. Oh, <laughs> uh, listen, like Pamela, just so good listening to your whole story. And um, you are nothing but impressive. And you, there's no way you're not going to get that funding or the right match ultimately. And no doubt it will be in lots of different markets because just your honesty and transparency to open up and your just ability to get stuck in and all those knockbacks it's it's unbelievable so for like just fair play to you and uh, wish you all the best with the mba and and everything else with maxi love but thanks mill for coming on and, and chatting with me and uh yeah best of luck with it all as well thanks so much for having me <laughs>